0: Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahneman. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahneman on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas today. It's like the perfect mix of some of my favorite topics. We're talking brand. We're going to talk about consumer products and how to like leverage this whole idea of brand and bring it to life, not only with a company, but your own individual area of focus and your work. And on the podcast today is my very new friend, Lindsay Peterson, who's the author of an incredible book that I'll share with you in a minute. Lindsay, it's so great having you on the podcast.
1: Justin, it's so good to be here with you. Thanks for having
0: me. I know! This is so cool. I love your book. I really love the cover, by the way. Like the Whoever did the design work, amazing. Um, for those who don't know Lindsay, a lot of you probably do know Lindsay because she's really kind of a, a big deal in the brand space. But she's got a, an amazing book out called Forging an Ironclad Brand, A Leader's Guide. And today, the whole podcast, we're just going to unpack this whole idea of brand. And I can't even wait because she's worked in the consumer product space. We actually have a lot of mutual friends in common. And just the ideas she's bringing to life here are things that any company can apply. So, all right, Lindsay, I'm fired up, obviously. And um, let's dive in. So, I'd love to start with some, a story of um, our guest's background. So, share with our audience how you got into this brand space. I know you started in advisory and in consulting, and then you made your way to Clorox. But talk about some of how that happened before for you and then how you got to the place where you wrote this book.
1: Sure. You got it. So I spent most of my undergraduate years really focused on a career in psychology. I was planning to, yeah, um, I know, not, not. You weren't going to be the brand person. I wasn't. I didn't know what a brand was then. Yeah. um, But I really, I've always really loved kind of seeking to understand people and human behavior and i was planning to do a, a clinical psychology route and kind of got disenchanted with that at the last moment and went into dude i did what a lot of people who can't decide what they're going to do do which is i went into management consulting and um, <laughs> hey i was there
0: i loved management consulting <laughs>
1: right like there's there's there is it's there is nothing like it for just a kind of volume of exposure totally. to different worlds um and when i so i was i was at deloitte consulting and i went to business school because you actually had to go to business business school um i was on this uh path at deloitte where you actually had to go to business school in order to stay got it and um i actually was not planning on staying because I didn't love doing management consulting, or at least I didn't like the lifestyle. So, um, I, again, I I went to business school only with like a uh, cursory understanding of what I was getting myself into. And, um, so I was kind of blind, but I went to business school and, um, I will never forget the first week of business school learning about marketing Um, truly for the first time learning about marketing, not um, kind of a watered down version of marketing, but like real marketing, which is understanding a person, what they want, what they need, and then using markets to meet that need and create value for a company. And um, when I learned about that concept, I was immediately, smitten in fact i remember thinking people get paid to do something (laughs) like that that's so fun (laughs) yeah um so so i really made the decision then to pursue marketing and after business school and even during my internship during business school i went to clorox and spent uh six years in brand management at clorox where as you know, Justin, in the consumer packaged goods <laughs> world, like it's it's really the, the science of um, what I call brand, kind sure. of brand with a capital B, um, you know, cre- creating relationships with customers through a really compelling and ownable value proposition. And um, I loved that. I did not love the culture at Clorox, Interesting. but I loved the content of what I was doing. I really enjoyed that, the intellectual part of it a lot. And at that, so at some point during that journey, we moved, um, we moved from the Bay Area to Seattle and I started doing a a little bit, um, oh, it was not a a very conscious decision, but I I, kind of started passively doing some consulting work, doing the same sorts of things, for my clients that I was doing at Clorox, which is kind of building the brand strategy for various companies sure. and various kind of product lines. Starbucks was my first client, and um, I found that I, number one, I really, I loved to do it as an outsider because I could say things that would have been unpopular if I were an employee, but I could be really frank in a way that I otherwise wouldn't be able to. So I really sure. enjoyed that. I also found that although in the consumer packaged goods world, the principles of brand are very well understood and celebrated. That was not the case outside of consumer packaged goods. So wow. um, there's kind of this deep disconnect between what brand is or the way that I learned about brand as kind of the heart and soul of what your company means um, and the way that it was being perceived, especially among tech companies that I worked for Seattle being a tech town. Sure. Um, they really had a superficial um, grasp of what brand was as kind of brand as a logo brand is your visual identity. And um, it became my mission to kind of educate that there's this tool that is just an essential leadership tool, brand strategy, that and there's no reason that it needs to exist only in consumer packaged goods. Interesting. Um, so that's what I started to do as a consultant. And now that's what I've been doing for, uh, I guess, about 13 years. I've <laughs> that's been amazing. doing this. Yeah, so awesome. I, I I love it. It's now, it's a it's a joy to work with leaders to define their businesses.
0: Yeah, no question. I mean, Clorox obviously a big brand front and center right now with COVID nineteen, but they make more than just cleaning supplies. They I make mean, Kingsford. Charcoal, fresh step, cat paw yep. cleaning, uh, Pine Sol, uh, my gosh, Nature Valley, Ranch, Glad trash bags. I mean, just a whole portfolio of products. And actually, I'm gonna we're gonna come back to kind of the idea of big brand Clorox company and smaller brands in a few minutes, but. Um, Lindsay let's talk about so I love that love the story you know once again you know just like many other of our guests you know you were heading in one direction you know earlier in your career and then found your true passion which I I love Um, let's unpack this idea of brand so you know I think everyone listening is like I know what a brand is I know what that means but they all work for most of our listeners don't work in consumer products some do but others work in other um, fields so let's talk about like how do you define a brand like what are the key elements of it
1: yeah. Yes. You, so your brand as a business, your brand is the meaning that you own inside the mind of your audience. It's the thing that you stand for to your customers. It's that, it's that whole set of associations from rational to emotional, from, you know, cognitive to visual, all of those associations that, that your audience has for your company. That's what brand is. And Brand strategy is simply the deliberate exercise of defining what you want that to be.
0: Love that. Well, and you mentioned that you saw in consumer products that there was a a very good understanding, and I'll say, of the strategy and of the deployment of of elements of brand, whether it be brand positioning, the brand promise, um, you know, reasons for consumers to believe in the brand, et cetera. What did you find with other companies and other industries that was not like that? What, what, what was missing from yeah. how other people think about brand?
1: Yes. Uh, yes. I love this. So there is, I kind of call it this barbell effect where there's a lot of, especially in the tech world, there are a lot of companies, maybe most companies that dramatically, shine the spotlight on features so very functional (laughs) rational right elements you know how long is the battery life how you know uh how many um numbers you can fit into your memory um very functional very rational product specific benefits and features and so there's like a very heavy emphasis on that and then on the other end of the spectrum, the other end of the barbell is a very lofty, emotional, philosophical, you know, our brand is about helping people live their best lives. Right. Um, And uh, what I encourage my clients to do, and really leaders, all leaders to do, is to explore that entire spectrum, so I call it the benefit ladder, this is what we use in consumer packaged goods. Those features are important. I'm not saying that they're not important, um, uh, but that's not why customers buy your product. They buy it because of something that they care about. And you need to do some of that translating for them, um, you know, to get to that more functional, um, functional, but still benefit, not a feature. So it's about the reward your customer experiences as a result of those features. No question. And those, that's the brand promise, those, those elements, that brand promise that does uphold a really lofty, sometimes even transcendent emotional benefit. That's great. But do the work for the customer of showing them what that benefit ladder, what that spectrum looks like. Don't expect your customer to do that work for you because especially if you're a low awareness brand, That's asking them to do a lot of cognitive heavy lifting for you. So make it easier for them to understand you by, uh, sharing, um, you know, who cares about those benefits and that's nice, you know, that emotional reward of living your best life. That's great. (laughs) But like, what does it mean for the short term? Like, how does it help them solve the pain that they're experiencing today? That spectrum is your is your friend as a brand builder.
0: Totally agree. Yeah, I, I um spent a couple years working for a big data analytics company called Teradata, and you know it was it was so easy for our sales teams to come in and like go right to the the details of the techie talk. You know how many terabytes could it hold and how fast was it? And, you know, the the, the technical elements of it, because that seemed so exciting, right? That was like the true value prop of like the technology, but to a business person, they're like, I know, but how is this going to help me engage my consumer Differently, or how is this yes. going to help me um, make better financial decisions or supply chain decisions? So, like, it was so key to find ways to t- not just talk about the technology or the elements of the technology that seems so exciting to everybody that works there, but to make sure to translate it to the business.
1: It's so human to be super proud of the product that you're building and the neat features of that product. It's super understandable. I I get that. The, the problem is that our customers don't care about our product <laughs> as much <laughs> as you do. They, they really don't, they care about their life. It's not, um, so the fact that it's compelling to you doesn't mean that it's compelling to your customer. And um, so it's, it's really kind of about having empathy for the customer instead of only for yourself, instead of only what you care about, what is it that the customer cares about?
0: Sure. That's so funny. We could spend a whole podcast probably breaking down technology brands and or companies and uh, where they fit on that spectrum. Um, And you've probably already done that. (laughs) So uh, it's great what you've just done is, and you've talked about some of the early parts of your book again, forging an ironclad brand: a leader's guide. Um, Let's dive into, and I had so much fun uh, going through and and picking out some things that we we might want to talk about. But one of the things that you unpack in the book is you you list them as nine criteria for an ironclad brand strategy so i I know we aren't going to talk to all nine why don't you pick out a couple here that we can dive into just to give our audience some sense for like you know how do you how do you think about strategy
1: yes i love i love to (laughs) explore this you know i think like the, the 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 insight before developing the criteria, the insight is that not all brand positionings are created equal. So, you know, brand strategy is about deliberately selecting what is the thing that you want to mean to your customer. And there are infinite directions that you could go. And what I posit is that not all of those directions are equally attractive for your business. So, it's worth it to be very um, humble and curious as you're going through this to select the right one. Um, And I developed these nine criteria to kind of pressure test your way as you're developing your brand strategy to ask these questions to kind of keep your, your, your feet to the fire. Are we creating the most attractive, brand for this business. And so let me just, I'm going to go for the, yeah,
0: the first a two of them and there's That'll a lot
1: good. more. There's, there's to, good, good, good. Okay. So the first criterion for being an ironclad brand is I call it big. Is this brand idea big enough to matter to your customer? So is it meeting a significant need Uh, Will the customer be motivated to buy this and to be loyal to it? Is it an idea that has headroom, room for expanding and evolving and scaling? Um, So that's the first criterion: is just is it big? Um, you're going to stand for a certain meaning in the idea, in, in, the, in the mind of your audience. Make sure that it's a big space in their minds, that it's not um, inconsequential. So number one is big. Number two is narrow. So you want your brand to be big enough to matter, but you also want it to be narrow enough that your business owns it, where your business really dominates this particular strength. Sure. And that narrow law kind of checks you on the big criterion. So um, you, yes, you want it to be big, but you want it to be something where you alone Own nail that it. That's sure. where you're going to get that. Yeah. Yeah. That disproportionate. Um, power is by kind of that yin and yang of those first two
0: the way i thought about that one um you know i love big because it's kind of like a you know big audacious kind of goal in my mind but the the narrow piece when i read that i thought back to my time with coca-cola when we would say we want to be number one or number two in these specific categories so like not all categories, but these specific categories we wanted. And, and that's where I felt like, you know, hey, we were narrowing in on um, some strategy around each of the brands.
1: Yes, it's it's um, the, in, in, it, you could almost argue there. there's a part of this is just sheer economic. If you're <laughs> not there, if it's not narrow enough to own you, the prize just isn't large enough. Sure. So. It's better to own a smaller space than to be a same old, same old in a larger space for your bottom line. There's also almost like an emotional or spiritual part of this. It's kind of like, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, why are you doing this business to begin with? Sure. Um, What is that specific driver for you as a leader? This is your chance to really harness that so that you don't wind up... um, kind of in this space where you're like either over promising or you're just like in a sea of sameness, um, of, of your market that's delivering a big benefit, but you're all delivering that same big benefit. You just don't get the economic value by doing that, let alone the kind of rewarding, um, emotional value to you as a leader.
0: Sure. I love that. Um, and I, I, that's so great. Um, You've got a couple other here's that a couple others here that I think are incredible. Uh one around brand strategy being empathetic, which I love, um has to have teeth and be kind of sharp edged. Talk about though what you mean by asymmetrical. I love the word, but talk about how that plays into brand strategy here.
1: Yes. Yes. So and I know we're gonna talk about in a minute, we're gonna talk about the uncommon denominator. Yep, we're heading there. (laughs) Okay, good. So Asymmetrical, and it, you can, in a way, you can take the word brand out of this and just think of this as strategy. This is the case with any strategy you're developing, whether it is real estate strategy or patent strategy or military strategy. Any strategy is about identifying where you are asymmetrically strong and really expanding that asymmetrical strength. So, is it truly different? to you? Can only you bring this to your customer? Mm. Does it capitalize on your dramatically different strengths? Um, and, And to what extent with this brand idea, to what extent does that strength outside your competitor's strength? So it's not just about where are you good? It's about where are you disproportionately good? Where are you asymmetrically strong? And That's what helps this to be uncopyable Um, to build what I know a lot of entrepreneurs love the word moat. This is where you (laughs) get your, your moat. You have such a disproportionate strength here that it doesn't matter whether everybody tries to copy you. They simply won't be able to.
0: Wow. I love that. That's a cool idea. Um, And, and so applicable and you do. I I spent some time around that um, chapter in your book and that's one I think worth spending more time on. Um, Let's see, uh, the nine criteria I listed off a bunch of them, um, and all of these are heading towards the, you know, the big, I'd say, bottom line for your book, which is how do you get there? So, you know, uh, here are the criteria for a brand strategy, but then how do you make you bring it to life and and get this into execution? And I I really love your model here, um, but why don't you share with our audience what that model is, and then we can dive into some aspects of that as well.
1: That's awesome. I, I, it's funny because I tend to be kind of a methodical person and brand is one of these things that a lot of people, at least outside of consumer package goes, a lot of people think it's kind of fluffy. And, um, to me it's, and it depends on what you're like as a leader, but a Since my clients are CEOs, they tend to really abhor fluff and they (laughs) abhor the idea of sort of, you know, like hoping that the muse visits them so that they identify an awesome brand strategy that doesn't feel good uh, for this wiring. And so a lot of the power I want to offer is just the idea of use a method to begin with. I love my method. That's why I wrote a book about it. But it's like, use a method, like, don't right. be afraid to use a framework, um, a sequence of steps to get there, especially if you're in like an analysis paralysis <laughs> mode, or if it just feels too like nebulous. Um, so, so that's my first encouragement is like, don't be afraid to use the discipline of this I love it. to help you. Um, it's nothing to be, um, intimidated by, and it's also silly for brand to be shrouded in mystique. It's not, um, you know, brand is not just a TV ad brand is what you stand for as a company. So it's worth the discipline. That's my first, um, encouragement here. And, um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give you kind of the, the, the starting steps of this, and then we can dive in deeper where you like, um, the, the first um question for building a brand strategy is, who am I currently serving or who do I want to be serving? My, who are my customers, my right customers, my target bullseye customers? Who are these people? Um, and what do I know about their life and the pain that they're experiencing because they don't have my offering my product, my service, Um, you know, kind of dive inside their world and understand what it's like to be them. Um, And then kind of a uh, related point to that is what are you competing with when it comes to these customers? Mm. What is the behavior or the um, what's the category you compete in? That's kind of the most obvious, like direct (laughs) competitor, but also what are the substitutes um what are the workarounds what is it that they are choosing to do because they're not choosing you what is that alternative um so when you have those two questions answered at least to a kind of satisfactory degree who am i serving and what are they choosing amongst then you are oriented you can say okay like now i know um Now I know who I'm optimizing this for and I know what I'm optimizing against because the implication of um, that frame of reference, what are they doing because they're not using your offering, now you know what you need to differentiate against. so a really common pitfall here is just to assume that you're competing against direct competitors when you're actually competing against something much more subtle. And if you if you make that mistake, then you're going to then you're going to be competing against something that's kind of a phantom. Sure. Um, you know, if if what you're competing, at, you know, say it's um, lemonade um, you might be competing against other brands of lemonade, but you might be competing against water, or you might be competing against thirst, you know, sure. somebody like being thirsty, or you might be competing with fruit, you know, watermelon. And if you're really competing with watermelon, but you're talking about how great you are compared to other lemonade options, you miss the point. And, um, that's a, that has really significant consequences later. Um, so start with that. The 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 second step is so the first step is to orient, who's your customer, what are you competing against? The second step is to listen. And this is where um you know, like in consumer packaged goods we talk about market research or consumer insights gathering. Absolutely. Sometimes it's very, you know, you spend a lot of time and money on it where you know, you hire ethnographers or you do focus groups <laughs> or you do um, quantitative surveys. That's great if you have the budget for that. Um right. super expensive, and it also, And if you don't have the budget for it, there is a really cheap way to do this, which is merely to talk to your customers. Just talk to them. You know, call them. Um, <laughs>
0: it seems so intercept simple. Intercept <laughs>
1: them. Yeah, it's really, you know, get outside the walls of your office and talk to them. Um, you don't need to have a big market research budget to get some... Um, helpful, incisive um, understandings of, of who you're serving. So that's like foundational. Um, I love it. And then should I keep going, Justin? Yeah, I know I'm talking for I, a, a lot about this.
0: Okay. We could talk like for hours on this. I, um, a couple of things I think it would be really cool for our audience to hear about is actually your next step in the process is called examine. Yeah. But in as part of that, you talk about this idea of uncommon denominator, framework. I was like, what? And I love the diagram, but we can't show the diagram on the podcast. So talk talk to what that is and how that applies here in terms of uh, thinking about brand.
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So um, a really classic model for analyzing a business is um, uh, the three Cs. So customer, company, and competitor, right? So What do you know about your customer? What do you know about your company? And what do you know about your competitor? Um, To apply the brand lens to this framework of the three Cs, customer, company, and competitor, um, I recommend when you're doing your listening, when you're learning from your customer, start inventorying what you know about what they want, what are the things that really matter to them. Um, start inventorying what they're saying about your competitor, which again, is not necessarily a direct competitor um, and what' what those competitors or substitutes are good at bringing, what are those strengths of those of your competitors? And then also um, from both your customer, insights work, but also from your own work within your company, what do you know to be your company's strengths for this market? So you can picture a Venn diagram of your customer desires, your competitor strengths, and your company's strengths. And just like with any good Venn diagram, the center of that Venn diagram is the overlap of what does your customer want, What does your competitor do well and what does your company do well? That's great. That is, um, that is what I call the common denominator. So it's a really important thing that you bring that your competitors bring and that your customers want. The problem is that most brand strategy exercises stop at that. They stop at, uh, Oh, our customers really want this and we're really good at it. And everybody else is bringing it too. um, unless you own the category, you need to focus on something that's different to you, that you alone bring. And that's why I encourage people to do the next step, which is the uncommon denominator. And the uncommon denominator is the overlap on this Venn diagram of what your customer wants, what your company is really good at bringing and what your competitor is not good at bringing. Mm. So It's the overlap of what's really resonant to your customer, what you are asymmetrically good at bringing, and what that nobody else can bring. And that is the way that you create the most economic value for your business, is by focusing on that. If you focus on the common denominator, so the category benefit, you may develop demand for your category, but unless you have like unlimited marketing dollars, you don't want to only develop demand for your category. You want to develop demand for your business. And that's why it's so important to focus on what is ownable and different to you. What is your uncommon denominator?
0: Sure. I love that. Yeah. I love that idea. And, uh, you know, as I was walking through, uh, not only your criteria for an ironclad brand strategy, but then the, how you get there part, um, i I thought I found that unique. I found your approach with the latter um thinking about features and attributes benefits, and not only functional benefits but emotional benefits. I thought that was super unique and then I loved at the i I was looking I'm, you know you get a brand book and I thought kind of like you were saying it's either gonna be all about uh advertising and p r <laughs> and creative or or more process and method centric. And I love that yours is that way. And like it it was only when I got to this part of your book that I really started seeing the creative part come out, which was great. Like activate creative is after you've worked your way through this, this process, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, that, I mean, I, I think that the creative, it's interesting because, again, my CEOs are often left-brained people right. who are not interested <laughs> right. in, the, in the, the, the warm, fuzzy parts. And yet, and th- my um, encouragement is not to let that creative part go, again, because if you do, you're leaving economic value on the table. Sure. Um, consumers bond with people-like brands, not with inanimate objects. And so... Um, you know, and it, asking a person to bond with, you know, a feature is um, a lot heavier of an ask than um, inviting them to bond with your um, person-like brand that has character and humor and zest. Um, that's how you build that relationship. And relationship is, uh, yes, it feels good. And it also brings more economic value because you um, you move away from commoditization, you move to something that you uniquely bring, which reduces pressure on um, low price, it reduces, uh, it gives more goodwill and kind of expands the value for the customer.
0: Wow, I love that. Like I said, before we hit record, I think we could probably spend an hour or two on your book. Um,
1: I know, I love I know it. the same way.
0: I love the content, I'm sure you are. <laughs> Um, And it's so key, I think, for everyone out there that thinks marketing is commercials and, you know, cool logos and colors and, you know, websites, uh, you know, take a look here because uh, it is a lot of good strategy, planning, process, execution, and then, oh, by the way, leveraging kind of some of those other creative elements as part of that. Um, Lindsay, share with our audience how they can connect with you. Where they can find your book, um, how they can get you to speak to their teams, etc., how they can work with you.
1: Oh, thank you so much for this conversation, Justin. This <laughs> has been awesome. such a joy, <laughs> and I, um, I'm so um, delighted to be able to talk about this. And anyone who's listening, I'd be really jazzed to be connected with you. Um, on my website, ironcladbrandstrategy.com, I have a monthly newsletter where I write about a provocative topic and brand and leadership, and would love for you to subscribe if this kind of content is interesting for you. Um, my book is Forging an Ironclad Brand, which is available on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble, all that, all those, all those places, all the usual suspects, <laughs> um, and. Um, I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, I have a LinkedIn learning.
0: Yeah. Uh, I love some of the course. videos. It's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's,
1: it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's kind of a video version of learning the steps of building a brand strategy, much as I did in the book. And that's, um, LinkedIn learning. It's, I think it's a, it's a monthly, uh, membership fee, but I believe your first month is free, which means it's almost free to take this course. Um, so, uh, but, and regardless, follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn and um, I would just, I would love to continue the conversation with
0: you interview offline oh i think that's awesome and um Lindsay, we'll have to have you back on well i'd love to have you back on down the road to talk about some examples you know like let's take a couple of case studies of companies you've worked with or situations that you've worked through with the your your book thinking i'll call it and unpack those i think that would be super valuable that'll be part two and we can do that in a couple weeks how's that sound
1: Oh, my God, I would love that. That would be so fun. Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: it. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you,
1: Justin. Take
0: care. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands.